Welcome back, everybody, to the Pop Culture Historians. My name is Ryan Ritter. That's Jimmy McShane. We're both back in the TARDIS uh, ever since last week. Jimmy, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing good. Um, excited for a plethora of reasons to dig into this second serial of Classic Doctor Who Season 4, The Tenth Planet. Oh, what are you? They are I guess there's no reason to not just jump right into it. Aired October 8th through October 29th, 1966 in four parts. It's a story. It's a future. It's a futuristic set story uh, set in the faraway year of 1986. The distant future. The distant future. And, you know, it's a story that, you know, it's a, it's a well, it's a well-crafted, well-written, uh, four-part episode um mostly found except for one crucial episode uh yeah we'll get into that um it introduces a new uh a new set of uh, antagonists for the dear doctor as uh, jimmy alluded to last week uh ben and polly kind of uh, be- kind of come into their own in this episode or the set of episodes all that is great but right off the top, we have to talk about something that makes this four-part story special and gives it its um, place in the show's history. And it's probably, if people have, if there's anyone out there who's been following along with us through this, they've probably been eagerly anticipating this episode. Uh, we, should set, we should set the boundaries uh, of like what we're doing here real quickly. Um, I, I have not seen the show outside of whatever... Uh, serial we're talking about and the serials prior to it nothing after jimmy's seen it all i bet you've been waiting for this episode for a long time because I yeah i have been obviously yeah yeah what's this the is, yeah this is our first regeneration this is the end of the first doctor's tenure on the show a monumental moment in the show's history uh and i hardly even know where to start but i think we have to start with talking about that elephant in the room uh you know, well, first of all, I think it's perfect that uh, it's a four-part story, and the first three episodes are perfectly preserved. And of course, the fourth episode where the regeneration happens is gone because why yeah. wouldn't it been? <laughs> so there's there's a story behind that, and maybe not 100% accurate, but of course, the actual regeneration scene still exists. Right. Um, and so the reason why that regeneration scene exists is because it was featured in an episode of Blue Peter, so like kind of. From, talk about the history of the show and stuff like that in like 19 in the mid middle seventies, I think 1973, nobody mm-hmm. knows what happened to this fourth episode of the 10th planet after that. It regenerated. It, 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 turned, it turned into an episode of coronation street or something. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, like it just, it, it's unknown if that, if it, blue Peter ever returned it or whatever happened to it. Um, huh. That's why it's a, a popular you know, hypothesis is that someone just like took it home with them and it's in someone's private film collection right now. Uh, 
Um, that's oh, man. Anyways, yeah. no one really knows. Yeah. But that's why we still have – Blue Peter is why we still have the uh, regeneration scene. But it also might be why we don't have the rest of the episode. Sure. Well, I, first of all, I feel like Blue Peter has been like this like interesting source for the clips we wouldn't have had otherwise. Like it's the reason we have part of uh, what was the Dalek's master plan? Is that it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like Katarina's death is because mm-hmm. of Blue Peter. So that's something. I mean, <laughs> where they yeah. what they do with it afterwards? Who knows? <laughs> um, yeah, that, that seems to be the problem with Blue Peter, but. I want to I want to talk about the actual regeneration itself. Obviously, this is my first experience with it. I have nothing else to compare it to. It seems from the comments because you can find like the regeneration like the BBC like uploaded this onto their YouTube channel. It's not a secret. Um, it can it can be found. <laughs> um, but a lot of the comments kind of talk about how. I mean, who knows? I mean, there could be a bias because a lot of the comments say like this is their favorite regeneration, and you know, it's a, it's classier uh, to some degree than uh, future ones. So I'm trying to see if I can actually form a question here because I don't want you to give anything away. But is this regeneration markedly different from future ones? Is this set a template, or is there are there different style choices made throughout the years as they do this? Is this do you, you get what I'm trying to ask? I think I see what you're trying to ask. Um, and uh, I, I mean, I get what you're trying to ask. And uh, since you're asking, I assume you're not, you don't want to be surprised. There are different style choices made throughout the year. Got it. Um, and of course, this one, the original plan wasn't even to show it, right? The original plan was just Hartnell was going to like collapse at the end of this episode. And then, uh, do you know the name of the actor who plays the second doctor, by the way? Uh, I do. Uh, Patrick okay. Troughton, right? Patrick Troughton, yeah. So the idea was like, Hartnell was going to collapse. And then at the beginning of the next episode, the doctor would pop up and he'd be Patrick Troughton. Okay. Um, I think this is better. Uh, I think they, so they, too. They contracted Trouton for like an extra like like you know they they make a contract with these actors they uh, this was not part of the contract they made with Trouton though he he signed an uh, he signed an extra contract to do one more episode for this one um, beyond his initial contract. Got it. Yeah, and um, you know it's 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 sad to see William Hartnell go. We're not gonna do too too much looking back on his tenure yet because uh, there will be a bonus episode in, in this very feed uh, probably later this week um, with uh, we're going to talk all about William Hartnell's time on the show. We'll, we'll talk about favorite companions, favorite moments, favorite serials, all that. So we'll, we'll save a lot of that discussion for that episode, just because there's so much stuff to get to in this deceptively simple four-part serial um who knew it's going to have like all this importance attached to it uh, you wouldn't know it and i didn't even it didn't seem all it seemed pretty standard issue to me well we'll talk about that but like even like the first two or three episodes it seems just kind of like a normal story um but uh, i guess patrick troughton was sort of cat do i have this right he was cast sort of off of like the uh the approval of William Hartnell, he's like, you know, if you pick him, the show will be in good hands, and I'm kind of comfortable walking away. Is, so, that, is that right? I, I think, I think, um, he he didn't pick Patrick Troughton. 
but he was very happy with the casting of Patrick Chowden. Almost um, like it's his blessing, almost. Yeah, yeah. He Chowden got for no blessing, and in fact, Chowden was like flattered that he thought, uh, you know, he was really a big fan of Patrick Chowden, I guess. And we can, I was thinking we would kind of talk about who Patrick Chowden was going to this when we do his first serial, Power of the Daleks. But um, I think that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I, we can we can open up that. Uh, we can open up next week's episode with like a full Patrick Troughton kind of introduction. I think that's perfect. Right. But, uh, but, um, but yeah, Har- I guess he, Troughton was a very well-respected character actor and, you know, Harnell was a fan of him. So he was kind of like flattered that he was being replaced by, by an actor of Troughton's caliber, which was nice. That's, and so it's cool. Like, let, 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 I mean, that's something I do. I'm glad because Harnell, we knew Harnell was leaving the show. I'm glad it happened when Ennis Lloyd was in charge of it and not John Wiles. Sure. Um, it's going to got real nasty if you did. It was nasty. And yeah. Um, and so that's something I think is, is kind of interesting. So, um, uh, yeah, go yeah, ahead. Go no, no. You, was what was your question? Well, my question was, because now, nowadays... Doctor regenerations are like media events. Like they're announced months in advance. They usually have the next actor like on deck and like announced. Like it feels like a year before it actually even happens. Um, obviously, this is kind of unprecedented territory for the show, and kind of an unusual thing to do for like any show. Like obviously, lead characters have been written off and replaced, but it felt like the intent here was like this is something we can just keep doing going forward this won't just be like a one-off thing and it's probably the reason the show has gone on for as long as it has because it can kind of keep adapting um did anyone was this was this telegraphed in advance at all in 1966 did people know Did people know like tune in because uh there's gonna be a new doctor by the end of this or did it kind of was it sprung on people do you know <laughs> so it was announced but like it wasn't like front page news or for the front page for the like entertainment section in the way, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So the big, the big, uh, magazine, I guess, in Britain at the time, which is called Radio Times. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, I think it's kind of like the TV guide magazine we have here in America, where it was just kind of like it was tell you what was going to be on TV and stuff like that. So it was announced a couple weeks in advance. And there were rumors prior to the official announcement that Hartnell would be leaving. And they officially announced he's going to be replaced by Patrick Trouton. But like, it wasn't like a big deal. They didn't make, make a huge deal out of it. It was just kind of like a small segment in the, you know, kind of in the back pages of the, the magazine. It wasn't like the front page, like new Doctor Who, like it probably would be, like it is today, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like yeah. a whole, it's like a, it's like a whole event now. It's like, hey, um, rumored. Like you know, here, here, ten actors we want to see as the as the new doctor. <laughs> right. Yeah, a simple um, time. Maybe and maybe it was just, you know, I think uh, it, it was the first time it was done, and I don't think people at the time realized this the significance. It's just a, it's just a line item yeah. of a show that was popular. <clears throat> yeah, but and it's even a show that was this is something I forgot to talk about last week. It was waning in popularity. The Smugglers mm. was the lowest rated serial in the show's history at that point. Oh, Jesus. I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, yes, I, and I didn't mention it, so that's my bad. But yeah, this, so it was, a, it was a show, not only was this show, like it was a popular 
uh, part of pop culture, but it was also kind of waning in popularity. I think, you know, it was just not of interest to a lot of the magazine editors at the time. But I do think news of the regeneration, well, I guess news of the recasting, it did lead to, I think, a bump in ratings because the, the 10th Planet, the second half of the story got a lot better ratings than the first half. Which is interesting because that, that's when like the regeneration stuff kind of really kicks in. Mm-hmm. Although, and, um, I will, yeah, I will tell no, you. Going. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you. Um, I guess, well, it's not really a question for you because I think when you watched this for the first time, you knew this was like a regeneration story. Um, I did. I think most people know going in, but. Right. Um, I didn't really notice anything amiss until like episode four, to be perfectly honest. Because even when he's like, oh, I'm like old and weak or whatever, in like episode three, we've seen this before in other episodes. Yeah. Really. They kind of have to find ways to like write people out for an episode. I kind of thought that's all it was. And it was only. Well, that that only is actually all it was. Oh. So, <laughs> so, so he originally was supposed to be in episode three. But, oh, that's um, right. They mentioned that in yeah, the uh, Josh Sears video, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hardnell got sick and they had to write him out. But I guess, um, the, I mean, this is why he left. Because even when writing this episode, before they knew it was going to be his last, because this, originally this wasn't supposed to be like the first Doctor's last episode. It, was, it wasn't like written in such a way to be his like farewell. That's why he kind of, his death is he just kind of gets old and dies. Um, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, that, that's the whole thing. Like, they, they, when they're writing this, they're like, hey, don't give the doctor too much to do because Hartnell might not be able to handle it. Um, and so that, that's why they were able to, at the last second, like write him out so easily because his role had been kind of just reduced to standing around and like, you know, getting in arguments with the, the leaders of the area and you know, coming up with the sage advice, but he couldn't move around like he did in the first couple seasons. Gotcha. Well, you know, so we talked about like his kind of failing and declining health. Um, it's like, didn't he get like bronchitis as this thing started to? Like, did you already mention yeah, that's that? Why, that's why, well, I said he got sick, but it was bronchitis it. that he got that kept him out yeah. of that third episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I. <laughs> I had had it in my head that the first doctor was like regen, like the regeneration process was introduced because like the first doctor had died during production. Like so I'd always had yeah. it in my head. So imagine my surprise when I found out he lived for like another 10 years after this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I know where you got that from. You got that from a mutual friend. I had the same idea too when I started watching this because a mutual <laughs> friend of ours told us that and he was mistaken. But yeah, that's um, just sound, that just that's that's something like an internet rumor from like yeah. back when these things weren't accessible. I know. And so yeah, like I went in thinking like, oh, William Hartnell just dies on set one day. But no, it was <laughs> that was not no, the case. He makes it another decade. I mean, I know like his health never really like rebounds. But uh, you know, and obviously it makes sense. Like <laughs> I feel like they I don't know, they would have handled it differently if like he had just like collapsed and died on set. I don't think they would have like just, just said, well, he'll also, the doctor will also get old and die. I don't know. It, it feels like they would have handled it differently. So, like, once I found that out, I'm like, oh, yeah, that all makes sense. But, <laughs> yeah, anyway, <laughs> that's just, 
It was, it was I, didn't, not, I, didn't, it was nice I didn't know you had heard that as well. Um. Yeah, I don't know if, I, yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. But uh, it was nice to see that he made it like another, it's like 1977 or 78 or something. That's cool. Yep. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, nice he didn't act a lot after this. But he did do, still do some stuff. That's cool. Um, That's good to know. Yeah. Something, uh, something I think is an interesting question that I kind of want to like bring up every so often. I was like, how and why is this show still on the air, right? Because mm-hmm. at this point in the show's history, like nobody thought, they, they probably thought maybe it had a couple more seasons and be over. Right. No, nobody thought the show would still be on the air uh, as of 2023. Uh, and so, you know, this is obviously a big tentpole into like the, how is it still on air, right? Like, to replace your main actor every, you know, whenever is a big part of the reason why this show is still going. Sure. And um, I think it's interesting how much luck or bad luck even had to be involved for this to happen. Like, first of all, you had to have a, like, a producer who early on who didn't want to just recast people, right? They could have just recast Susan. They could have just recasted Ian and Barbara. But they didn't. They wrote off those characters and placed them with different characters. You know, because I feel like if you recast Susan, if you recast Ian and Barbara, why not recast the Doctor? Right. And then secondly, how they chose to to write off. Secondly, you had to have a main actor who was really good, really talented, but also get too sick to where they couldn't go on with the role anymore, which is unfortunate. But it was not for, I mean, Hartnell wanted to keep going. He wanted to do at least five years of this. And, you know, maybe after five years, you say, well, we, you can't, you can't replace Hartnell and you just end the show. And so, and that's assuming he would have left after five years. And so uh, you had to have that unfortunate situation with Hartnell's health. And you also had to write him off the, the right way. Something you actually caught is John, John Wiles did try to write William Harnell off, and he was going to write him off during the Celestial Toymaker. You actually kind of, you thought this might happen. I don't know if you remember this, but you were felt, wondering. It, it, the way they were doing it, it sounded, it felt like, well, like a regeneration. It's not too far off from what actually ends up happening when he regenerates. No. So just kind of like, my body's disappearing. Like, <laughs> you know, like. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and what Wiles well, had intended was that when the doctor comes back, the celestial toy maker changes his appearance. That was going to be the, uh, how he replaced Hartnell. And if that happened, you wouldn't have a recurring ability, right? I mean, the doctor regenerating here is an ability that he has. If the toy maker changes his appearance, that's just like, outside intervention that's not like a recurring ability where you can use it again right. so if, if wiles had won his battle and was able to kick hartnell off the show the show also doesn't last the next 60 years most likely i mean you have to like you have to be coming up with different ways of having the main character leave every time right and but it was that was the seed of the idea that jerry davis ran with here to replace Harnell. He's like, well, why, you know, instead of like trying to get another old man and just like, you know, act like it was 
the same character, he's an alien. Why not just have him change his body completely? Like that idea started with John Wiles trying to kick William Hartnell off the show. It's interesting because I think there's, there's sometimes a power in shows having to find eras with like almost like completely different casts. And like these aren't, the thing that comes to mind immediately is like the original Law and Order. And I, I picked the original one specifically because, you know, SVU is probably like the more popular franchise, but it has managed to do that somehow with like the same core cast basically for like 25 years, which is like, um, like unheard of. <laughs> like, yeah. it's like never happened. But Law and Order has like these defined eras where it's like uh, Sam Watterson era and you know uh, jerry orbach uh it's dennis farina it's what you know what have you uh chris noss whatever um with different characterizations different abilities like you know orbach kind of brings like a kind of old school broadway charm to the roles like uh as opposed to like uh you know chris noth who kind of has a little bit more hard-edged what have you and that kind of gives places to dip in and out um there's something kind of rewarding about watching those shows straight through but they're not really like serialized you can kind of just dip in into stuff that you really like and uh, you know but i think that's probably a reason why it's lasted 20 years or i guess now it's back on the air so now it's like 21 years i don't know it's a law and order (laughs) chronology is odd um but it's kind of like this here like it gives you a chance like if some you can kind of run something into the ground until it's not working and then you can kind of just i don't mean run into the ground in a bad way but you can just you can run out a character dynamic until you kind of feel like we're running out of ideas and then you can just kind of change it up i think it's a powerful tool that you don't want to use too much i would argue season three there's too much um changing back and forth but um I think again, it keeps it gives you a way to kind of rejuvenate things without altering the DNA of the show too much. And I th- I agree. I think there's something very fortuitous about how they chose to regenerate the first Doctor because it's now a part of the show's DNA. Right, and it's, and I should mention like Inez Lloyd immediately recognized that this could be a recurring thing. Like it's something I don't think anyone else had on their mind. It's not something John Wiles had on his mind. It's not something Jerry Davis had on his mind. But Lloyd was immediately like, yeah. And then if we have to do this again, we can't. And, and so, it, it might it might give you access to actors that you wouldn't have got. I mean, you know, one of the things about the show is that it's a it's a it's a grind. I mean, you're doing you're working forty six weeks out of the year or something on this. Like, not everyone's going to want to commit to that for five years. But well, you could get a really good actor for two. Yeah, it's true. Uh, definitely part of it. Even today, it's considered a grind um, because you know, with most TV shows, you have like a set that you're doing most of your things from and everything else is kind of like supplementary. Um, mm. But the, the problem Doctor Who has is you're going to different planets. You're going to different time periods. You're going to different, like the only consistent set is the TARDIS set and not much of the action takes place in that set. Right. <clears throat> and, so, and so that's something that makes even today the show hard to film. And so a lot of actors will even like not doing the crazy schedules anymore but a lot of actors will talk about how like grueling uh filming the show is and that's still why i think you see a lot of turnover in the lead role that and also it's kind of become a thing like when an actor takes the role they're not like i'm gonna be doing this for the rest of you know for the next decade or so it's kind of like, okay 
you know, I, I know this is going to be a temporary thing for me. Right. It's, it's a nice way to kind of get onto this legacy program uh, in your country. And now, uh, now it's a worldwide phenomenon. I know like where we are in the show's pro, you know, programming history. We're not there yet, but now it's definitely like worldwide. Um, yeah. Sure. And you would almost you almost wouldn't want to do it for ten years. I do think the turnover is now part of the novelty. I feel like if someone mm-hmm. held the role for ten years, people might get kind of antsy. <laughs> I think. Yeah, I do. I mean, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, that's definitely something we'll explore as we go on, and maybe some some actors stay longer than you might expect. That's true. That's true. Um, so yeah, an interesting development. I like that you kind of broke it down, almost like how luck how much luck has a factor into like developing something that's now, it's going to last for all time. I think. Um, who knows? Who knows how long it can go, but I mean, it can, it can, it can literally go until it's like not profitable anymore at this point. Yeah. Like that's a, that's a good tool. Um, so that's the regeneration. We'll, we'll break down how the regeneration comes about as we break down the episodes, as we always do. But um, another topic we have to bring up here at the top, at the top, we're like now firmly in the uh, end of the top, near in the middle. If the regeneration hadn't happened, the, the second, you know, the biggest thing about this uh, series episodes would be, of course, the introduction of the Cybermen, um, as you mentioned, the new, a new long-term antagonist for the Doctor. Uh, the kind of um, bat behind the Daleks. Um, I don't know if you want to, is there anything you want to talk about in regards to the Cybermen? Or... Well, I guess my first question, because you knew who the Daleks were, like kind of in, in general, like they, they become kind yeah. of a, enough of a cultural thing that you, you, yeah. you knew They're they so existed, kind of what They're they so looked ubiquitous. like. Yeah. 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 Were the Cybermen familiar to you at all? Not by design. The name sort of rings a bell, but um, I think if, someone had shown me just like a picture of the Cybermen from this episode and said, do you name these? I don't think, I don't think I'd be able to do that. Gotcha. Yeah. But the name sort of rings a bell. Gotcha. And maybe like later designs you might recognize. I don't know. We'll see. That's possible. Um, but yeah, the Cybermen, um, pretty, pretty well liked and, you know, uh, recurring foe for the doctor. Um, mm-hmm. I guess what was you, you know, cause you, you have no, you know, when I, when I went to watch this, I was always familiar with who the Sovereign were and what they were about. How do you feel about them here? So uh, I like them, although I will be honest, uh, when they first show up at the end of episode one, uh, I was not <laughs> impressed right away. Um, Fair enough. I mean, they don't really do anything. They kind of just like appear and, um, I didn't see anything that distinguished them from, yeah, what were the what were the monsters in the arc that had like the uh, like the eye in the middle of their neck or whatever? Oh, like, monoids. Yeah. The monoids. There's nothing. They just kind of look like okay. They're just kind of like creepy people in like an obvious costume. I was like okay, but like I know that these are like big characters, so let's see if we can find what's compelling about them. And I think I know what is compelling about them. I think it's two things. One that's one that's more on the surface obvious and i think there's kind of like a story thing that makes them compelling maybe even more than the daleks uh one i think their voices are very creepy i think uh in conjunction with like how they look they almost look like bank robbers they just have, they have like they kept their faces in this remind me of 
on community. Do you remember like the Greendale mascot, which is basically just yeah. like this, yeah, mm-hmm. this guy yeah, but, in like a base. But, like, yeah, you, you should um probably for anyone who's not seen community. There's a whole episode where they're trying to figure out how to create a uh, like a mascot for the school. The show is set at a community college, and <laughs> and the mascot is the human beings, right? Like the, the yeah, yeah, their names are the human beings. So they're like, okay, so how do we how do we create like a human being mascot without like being offensive to anybody? And they kind of make a whole meal out of it. And what they end up landing on is <laughs> the mascot ends up being like this guy in like this gray, <laughs> almost like gimp nylon suit like it has like like eyes like like there's not there's nothing it's like a nude suit that goes yeah. over, completely over the face so there's like no gray. skin color yeah. it's gray and like there's like a little face painted on it that's what the cybermen kind of remind me of not literally but just kind of the way they look like their faces are covered by like nylon with like little like eyes it's hard to describe but that's what it reminded me of um initially so that look which on a 60s TV, um, a little, like the quality is just a little worse than what we have. Creepy. And their voices, like almost like the sing songy robot voice, is very unsettling. And I can see that freaking kids out, which usually is a good sign for shows like this. I think you want the kids to be a little scared because that's, what, <laughs> that's what's going to draw. I think that's what's going to like kind of like embed them in their memory. The Daleks were scary at one point too, you know? Like, right. so that's, the, that's the surface level thing. But two, I think there's their backstory, or like at least like their explanation as to like why they exist, is sort of a tragedy. And, and I think it's way more compelling and kind of human than like the Daleks. The Daleks are all about like we just want to be, we want to exterminate, we want to control, we want to destroy. Here it's like we're doing it out of self-preservation. Like we started off as humans, then we kind of just had to adapt, and we're kind of doing, we're in survival mode. I think that's a compelling story for uh, a villain and especially a recurring villain and i think it's kind of what adds some color to this serial in particular and we'll talk about that a little bit but i think that's probably why they endured more than like the minatra or something like which weren't really scary they're kind of just annoying here they really are scary but you can kind of you kind of get <laughs> they're hard to fully root against even though like they are you know, they do eventually are like, we want to destroy Earth as well, just to kind of get get this thing to the conclusion. That those are my observations about the Cybermen. I would agree. I, I do think their um their backstory is is a big part of the appeal, and because because it is creepy. But what's creepy is like it doesn't feel that far fetched. No, that a, that at some point some people might want to just replace themselves with cybernetic parts and take away their humanity yeah i mean we're kind of there in real life a little bit too i mean not like not literally robot parts but i mean depending on how you feel about like surgical enhancements of stuff i mean that that that's a that's a debate that's been well documented in our in our culture right and and you know the 60s was kind of when i started happening and so the government were a a direct response to that Mm-hmm. Where, like, the Daleks were a response to the Nazis, which had happened 20 years prior to Aaron, but, like, we're still talking about Nazis today. That's how, like... The... Yeah, I guess yeah, when you're, like, and... the most evil people that ever exist, they tend to last in your, <laughs> in your memory. Right. Um, and so this, that was only 20 years afterwards. But, yeah, the Cybermen were, were, do feel more universal than the Daleks. 
Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, um, so yeah, they're they're cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad you like them. Obviously, you know, similar to the Daleks, there's no plans to ever see the the Cybermen again after this, um, and so uh, it'll it'll be interesting when we see them again. Uh, if you, you know, how how you feel about their second appearance. I do think it's good for the show in general to have like a secondary group of recurring villains. I know that it wasn't the plan yet, but like the cat's out of the bag. I do. I am aware that they come back. Like, but um. So would I think, you I think prefer me not tell show. you? Oh no, I didn't mean that in a bad way. Um, I know, I was, I, I'm just curious. I think you. I, no, I think you handled that perfectly. No, I think that is that is perfectly fine with me. I I, I kind of like. Because if you don't tell me, we, we lose the comedy of like uh, the Vord were supposed to be the new Daleks. <laughs> like, <laughs> so no, I think the way we're doing it is, is just fine. Um, I also I wasn't th- sure if you had like maybe recognized the title of this serial because it is. Not really. Is, okay. Well, I wasn't sure because I was wondering, worrying about like maybe you like had heard it in something and like you might be like why is this one important i wanted to give you a reason why it was important besides the regeneration going in so that you know yeah no i've ever thought it no i think the way you handled it was just fine um i think it gives a compelling hook and you did perfectly bury the lead um so yeah no i don't don't think you need to worry about that it didn't bother me um i'm glad yeah um yeah i think it's healthy for the show to have like a secondary because i think we're kind of at this point. We're all, I know we're only on season four, but we're, we're we have basically two Dalek stories a season or a year. Everyone look at it, which is fine. But you can kind of see possibility of burnout. Maybe not just yet because the last Dalek story we had was possibly the best one. No, they're definitely the best one. Um, but at, what do you? Where do you go from there? And um, I am aware we'll find out soon enough because it does say at the end of this so next next episode, the power of the dogs. It's like, okay, we're jumping right in. Dalek um, episodes are rarely a surprise. I don't know if you noticed this. Like, sure. There's, there's two serial. Uh, I sent you the list of serial names, right? For the season? Yes. And you, and you, you have power of the Dalek next. And then we're going to be ending with evil of the Dalek. Like, <laughs> um, there's, there's a lot of blank of the Daleks stories and Doctor Who. But you know what? I can respect that. But I think it's good to have another set of villains that you can kind of throw in there a little bit. Because, um, you know, if they if they get to two Cybermen stories a year, that's four serials that are now kind of locked and loaded. You just got to, you don't have to like come up with anything. You come up with a new set of villains. I don't know. I think, I think it's a good, it's a sign of, it's a sign of possible prosperity for the show. I think that they mm-hmm. just kind of stumbled on the Cybermen. Yeah, no. Uh, nothing, nothing but good feelings about the Cybermen thus far. That's good. That's good. So we talked about the Cybermen. We talked about the regeneration. Um, so now that we're already like half an hour into this, should we talk about the actual serial itself? How we felt about it? Um, um, yeah, yeah, go for it. Uh, I, I think, I think it's good. I think it's, a, I think it's the first really solid serial of season four. I think it's probably the uh, first. Uh, yeah, abs- you know, absent the war machine, which is a very strong story. And it's funny; it, it kind of reminded me of this a little bit. Um, it has there's a reason for that, but there's actually a good oh. reason for a lot of that. But uh, we'll get to that when we do the the um, when we talk about like the the writers and directors stuff like that. But go on. Got it. Um, yeah. Um, 
I think it's the first really good story we've had in a long time. Again, minus the War Machines, which you know was two stories ago. But you know, there's that really rough patch in season three of kind of like not great or kind of lacking something stories. And this kind of felt like a return to form. And so it's unfortunate that it also fostered like asset, like the most, the biggest change we've had thus far. Um, <laughs> but yeah. so it goes, so it goes. Um, but no, I think it's good. I think, you know, I, I made a joke about it being set in the faraway ta- uh, time of 1986 now, but I think they avoid that trap of, you know, pushing things in the this not too distant future but then like nothing changes like i feel like everything it feels like this could be a story set in the 80s i don't know there's no like actual like there's no screaming anachronism there's no like 60s fashion that you know no one would have worn in the mid 80s or like there's no like computer thing i don't know it they kept it broad enough that like you don't have like that issue that stuff like the running man that's set like 200 years in the future but like everything is like yeah, all the computers are like, oh, yeah, all like green, green text on black background. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I think the, I, I think the conflicts are simple but compelling and reasonable. Like, there's not like a true like muscle, the muscle, mustache twirling bad guy. Like, obviously, like there's a general that is acting in his own interests, but the interest is compelling. Like the yeah. Cybermen we've already gone into, like they're doing it for reasons that make sense to them. It's not just world domination. And then there's like this ticking time bomb of the doctor regenerate. I don't know. I thought it was solid. What do you think? Yeah, I really like this too. And um, for all the reasons you mentioned, it's just really well done, really well paced, really well put together. Um, it, it has it has a lot of really, I think it has a lot of really good side characters. The general you mentioned, and then Barclay kind of ends up being a, a hero of the story as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, it's a ridiculous story. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, I love it. The tenth planet, of course, um, the tenth planet being the forgotten planet Mondas. Mondas. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah who that that got kicked out of gravitational orbit and was drifting, you know, and lost the the energy from the sun, and and, and it's coming <laughs> back to destroy Earth. Um, and of course, it's the tenth planet because. This is prior to uh, everyone deciding that Pluto was no longer a planet. Uh, right. So these, we may need to, re- to rename it as the eighth, as the ninth planet, but um, the good old days. Back the in. good old days. Back with Pluto. Um, <laughs> Shrinkflation's real, and we used to have we used to have ten planets. Now we have only nine. <laughs> um, <sighs> But uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, I think it's a really good story. Um, it's, it's definitely not, you can definitely tell like their generation is kind of tagged, you know, tagged on at the end. Like they, they, they kind of yeah. work it in there a little bit in that fourth episode, but mostly it's just kind of like the doctor is really fatigued for no reason and then dies. Um, right. But, yeah, William you know, Hartnell puts in some good work in this too. Like for a, for a for a last serial, like it's some of his best work. He's he's really intense here. He's very intense. He's great. I don't think he he knows his, he didn't want to go. He had to be convinced to leave. Sure. And so he didn't he didn't really get fired in so much as like it was just clear to everybody and they had to make it clear to him that it was he just couldn't do the role anymore. But I agree. He's he's very good in this and they and they're they're good about making sure they're not asking him to do something he's not capable of right now. 
you know, mm-hmm. mostly, mostly he's kind of like standing around and talking to people in the serial. Yes, that is true. But um, I think what makes it work it is a silly story when you get, when you get right down to it. But like everyone is treating it like dead seriously. Like there's no real like winking or like a. The show's never really done that kind of like standing outside of itself kind of humor. But you know there could have been an element of camp to this. But like I don't know, the doctor's really serious about this whole thing. Like the general takes it really seriously. Barclay and the, the kind of the head of the international committee, like they take it all seriously. So it, it helps you buy into it. Yes, I agree. And the, and the atmosphere, like setting it in the South Pole, I think helped a lot. I don't know. I feel like, I do feel like, I think you're right. I think these days, a lot, a lot of times it's an instinct to kind of take the ridiculousness of your premise and like dress it up with camp. Mm-hmm. And I, it's not necessary. You can still have a really good story like this, dead serious, and still have it be completely fucking ridiculous. That's almost the magic of where this show lies at this point. I mean, the Daleks are silly looking too. They have like fucking plungers for um, for <laughs> arms. But when you look at that shot of Barbara like up against the wall, like screaming her head off, like you're like, oh, this is they really made a moment out of this. Yeah, I agree. Um, so yeah, do we want to talk about? You want to hit me with the writers and director notes, and Let's we'll talk okay. about some of the cast, and then we'll break the show down. All right. So this was written by Kit Pedler. And That's a great name. We've, it is, we've talked about Kit Pedler before because he oh, was the guy who came up with the idea for the War Machine. Aha. And so that's probably why this reminds you of the War Machine. He did not write War Machines. It was written by Ian Sturklash. But he was brought onto the show by Jerry Davis and then as Lloyd because they wanted, they wanted to bring a more science element to the science fiction the show was doing, which I think you can see, because mm-hmm. because um, the the war machines and the savages and and this serial, you know, they're they're a little more science based in their storytelling, and that's really when the savages was really when, and as Lloyd and Jerry Davis's time as script editor and producer really began, um, and I think you can see that in those three stories. There is more of a focus on the science being a big part of the storytelling. And so his was the idea for the War Machines. Right, this is the first contribution out of three. Uh, three where he writes it anyways. And he co-wrote this one with Jerry Davis, the script editor, and it's uncommon for the script editor to get uh, actual writing credits. But the reason why Davis did it goes, Kit Peddler got sick in the middle of writing it and they needed to finish it, so Davis had to take over. But the core idea is still his. Got and it. this is this is his first out of three uh, stories for the show. And all of his stories, all of his three stories involve the Cybermen. So he's oh, you know, he kinda you is he's kind of the Terry Nation of the Cybermen, you know, Terry Nation for the Daleks. Um you know, Terry Nation wrote the first bunch of Dalek stories. He he writes the first bunch of Cyberman stories. Oh, that makes sense. Um, <laughs> hey, there's something kind of cool about like if you're able to kind of like pick the next best thing, it becomes your thing. You get to just kind of hold on to it. And you also like the way the BBC does it is he owns or his estate, him and Jerry Davis share it, own the IP for the Cyberman. 
just as Terry Nations owns the IP for Daleks. And so it's kind of a weird thing they do. Like if you create the character, even if he's part of another show, you still get that part of the um, character. You still own a part of that character yourself for creating it. Whereas I think in America, like everything belongs to the show, which belongs to the network. Uh, almost certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good for them. That's awesome. Directed by Derek Martinus, who ah, um, familiar name. Familiar name. He he directed Galaxy Four and Mission to the Unknown. So this is really the first serial we can really watch his stuff and be able to say if we liked it or not. That's a good um, point. <laughs> this is his third story out of six. So you know, about halfway through his his uh, contributions to the show. And um, let's see. Uh, and the music is just incidental music. Um, nothing, you know, nothing, no, no composer there. We're still, you know, we're still not aware that the show has a regular composer. Got it. Yeah. So yeah, the, um, the music didn't stand out to me anyway. So. Yeah. Uh, That's that, that's that. Those are the big, the big, um, big contributors. It, it should be mentioned, I guess. The regeneration effect, uh, yeah, was um, was created by what's her name? What's her name? I have it down here somewhere. Okay, Ooh, it was it, it was done by Vision Mixer Shirley Cowers, which is a very unfortunate name. That's <laughs> um, not great. But you know she. She has etched her place in history, uh, the show history at least, uh, by being the one who kind of came up with this idea to have the, because um, I guess it's, it's kind of interesting because it's something you don't want to do, right? Make the, make the camera flare and wipe everything out. Right. But here they use what would normally be um, a problem, normally be something you want to avoid, and it made it a special effect. And uh, so they had the, the camera flare out have Hartnell's face, just zoom in just on his face and have his face kind of get wiped out by white light and replaced by Patrick Trout's face. Yeah, again, it's a very classy effect. And um, I think it beats the, uh, you know, just he wakes up the next episode and he's Patrick Trout. And I think they even mentioned in the Josh Nairs video, like he was going to like have like a hood on and then they were going to like take the hood off and then there's going to be... That- <laughs> It's like that's a little silly, but this is—it's a cool special effect, and I think it's—I think it's great that they kind of use what would have been considered a production error to kind of kind of adds a little uh, something weird is happening here, something monumental is happening. Effect, yeah. Well done, well done. For sure. I, <laughs> I'm curious about the person who like wasn't paying attention to the casting change, how they would have reacted to that. I I. No idea. Um, I sometimes wonder if, uh, you know, I think it's, it's totally different. I think the show just came on again the next week. There's no break. But uh, right. I understand from people who were there at the time, people who processed The Empire Strikes Back, uh, the, you know, the famous twist of that as, uh, you know, is Darth Vader really Luke's father? And I got, like, there's a not insignificant amount of people who were like, oh, no, he's lying. He was using that to, like, get to him. So I wonder if some people thought, like, this was just like a not like an impermanent change. Like it was just like a setup for the next story. And then um, Hartnell would be back. 
uh, eventually. I don't know. Probably, if he, probably. If, if, he, if I, he had the I, context I, yeah. for it, yeah. Yeah. Like, be like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what happened here. I'll have to find out next week. Yeah. I, it was, yeah. It's like a, it's yeah. like a body swap. It's like a body swap story or something. And it is mm-hmm. just, yeah, it's permanent. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, some cast notes. Um, there's a lot of people in incidental roles, but I think the, the major roles can be boiled down to a few. We'll talk about the guy who played General Cutler, Robert Beatty, Canadian actor who made his way to London, had a nice varied career. Uh, we've actually already talked about two of his uh, movie projects. We've, get, we've done two whole episodes on two of his movies. Um, he was in Superman 3 as... Let's see, Tinker Captain. And then Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, in a much more substantial role as did the President of the United States. Wow. Yeah, so this now marks, this is the third, third episode uh, of this show, all about Robert Beatty. So This is the best thing I've seen him do. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, by far. I don't even remember him as the Tinker Captain. I kind of remember the President, but I thought the President was a bad character in superman 4 so this is this is he was but it was a it was yeah i don't i don't remember who he played in the superman 3 either but i Mm -hmm. i like to imagine it's the same character like he he was he went from like a military (laughs) tank captain to like the president like it happens eisenhower carter they've all made it from the well yeah but they're not tank not tanker captain yeah not tank not tank captain i guess i guess kennedy would kind of count but that was still Significant amount of time between him being a yeah. PT captain, and the president. Well, who knows? Maybe one of the one of these days. <laughs> now, we talked about General Cutler. Let's talk about his son. Role, a small role, but a pivotal one. Kellen Angelo. Um, not a ton of credits to his name. Um, his biggest role was probably as a semi regular on the famous BBC soap opera Coronation Street, and that's a show he started doing a couple of years after this. So. He kind of did his best work and then, uh, retired, I guess. I don't know. Uh, he's okay here. Um, it's more the idea of him is more important than the actual portrayal of him. And we'll get into that as we break this show down. Uh, Barclay, Dr. Barclay, played by David Dodemede, uh, tended to lean towards classical work. A lot of Shakespeare on stage and screen, a lot of classical lit adaptations like Crime and Punishment, Jane Eyre, uh, I think he, I think you can kind of see that influence on his performance here. It is does feel kind of classic theatrical, not in a not in a big way, but just in I don't know. I guess the the role has a lot of gravitas considering it's just like a it's like a bunker doctor. Um, he adds a bunker lot to scientist, it. yeah. Bunker scientist, yeah. Uh, Stephen Plytus played Wigner, who was the. Uh, kind of the head of the uh we'll get into the actual name of it but it's like the international space committee or whatever um uh believe it or not also in superman 4 what <laughs> yeah he was also uh he played a doctor in the 1989 batman i'm assuming that's one of the uh, i'm assuming that's the plastic surgeon that uh kind of goes oh like, no, Joker, don't look. And he's like, ah, I want to see what I look like or whatever. <laughs> I believe, oh, yeah, I, I'm guessing, yeah. I'm guessing he's in that scene. That's okay. my guess. Um, Alan White played uh, Schultz, who was one of the um, one of the, uh, the, the one of the astronauts in the, uh, the the doomed mission that starts this thing off. Uh, an Australian actor, 
Uh, steady career in British TV. You might, the outside chance you remember him from an episode of The Prisoner. He played a character named Dutton. I just don't know if this is the same chance I've seen you The Prisoner. But, yeah. John, but maybe. I'm, yeah. Thing is, uh, not, many, not many characters actually had names in The Prisoner. So it's interesting he had a name. Um, right. Well, maybe maybe Dutton is like that's his job. Like I'm the Dutton of this of this town. I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I thought you just like made up a title. Like what is a Dutton? Ah, uh, uh, he duts. He duts. <laughs> it sounds. It does sound very British to have a dutter around. <laughs> I'm the dutter. Yeah. Um, we'll cut that. Um, uh, the other astronaut has a very interesting story. Behind him, Earl Cameron. Uh, we talked about last week. Um, we kind of got our first black actor in a substantial speaking role. This is now our second black actor in a speaking role, and one of the very few actors from the Bahamas to ever appear on Doctor Who. Um, a couple interesting things about Earl Cameron. Uh, yeah, there's a few. Um, he was in a million things, and they. Uh, they range from Thunderball to uh, Inception. Like he just worked. He just did. He just did a whole bunch of stuff. He lived to be like 103. <laughs> like wow. he just he worked. So long prolific career in acting, which is kind of incredible considering it, acting was not the uh, career path he chose for himself. He started a military career uh, mostly for the travel opportunities, and he finished out his military tenure. Uh, he obviously survived. And then he saw a show on the West End. Um, a show, it's a show I'd never heard of, but um, it must have been popular. Chu Chin Chow. Uh, don't know. Can't speak to what it's about or <laughs> whatever. Um, but he kind of fell in love with the profession. And I believe if it, it's the same show here, one night an actor didn't show up to play his role and Earl Cameron just like replaced him and thus started his... I, 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 it, it feels like there's some information missing there. I don't know. He must have started doing like classes or something and then just kind of worked his way into that role. I doubt they did that off the street. But who knows? Acting in the 60s is crazy, man. It's possible. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, that's, that's, that's Earl Cameron. I thought he had kind of an interesting story. Um, again, kind of a pivotal role, although not in many scenes in this. And then finally, I wanted to talk about the pair of Cyberman voices. Um, it won't surprise you that they are, they are, they've both been on the show before as Dalek voices, um, which makes sense. And that's uh, Roy Skelton and Peter Hawkins. Uh, Roy, you know, obviously did Dalek voices, made it really big on the ITV children's show Rainbow. Uh, he played two characters, Zippy and George. And as it happens, I know, everything, everything British from like the 50s and 60s sounds like you're <laughs> making something up. Like, yeah. But yeah, sure. And funnily enough, uh, his predecessor as the role of Zippy was his other fellow Dalek VO artist, Peter Hawkins, who is now a Cyberman voice. Uh, Peter Hawkins has basically been in every Dalek story up to this point, and uh, as far as I know, continues on uh, for a long time. But he's a, he's a, he's a one of the main Dalek voices carried over to the Cybermen voices. And there are similarities between the two characters' voices, which I find kind of interesting. Uh, and last thing about Peter Hawkins, uh, allegedly did an early voice track for Gromit 
in Wallace and Gromit. Uh, that's the dog who, as I recall, doesn't speak. Um, they thought about maybe he spoke um, and they just decided against it. It's a track that has never been released, but allegedly it's out there somewhere. Hmm. And it was him. Yeah. I think they made the right choice. I think so too. Especially since apparently like the voice track, the dog just kind of repeats what Wallace says. So like, I think there's a lot of redundancy there, which is probably why they chose to just kind of, that's a classic like two man group distinction anyway. Like one talks, one is silent. Like we've seen that yeah. all through like, you know, Jane, Silent Bob, uh, the, the Penn and Teller. It's a good trope. Or even going back to like, well, not Adam Costello, they both talk, but I feel like there's an old, like oh Mark's brothers the Mark's brothers had one yeah Mark's talk. brothers yeah that's th- there's three yeah. of them but yeah one of them is totally silent um which kind of gives you another avenue of comedy yeah it's a good trope so uh, but I'm I'm glad he got to be part of that history anyway even if it didn't materialize so I'm yes. gonna I'm, yeah I'm I'm gonna before we start getting into like the episode breakdown I'm gonna ask you like live on our podcast <laughs> okay uh, do you want to um add a movie at the end of our season here. So the reason I ask is this. Um, in 2013, they, the BBC made a movie dramatizing the like beginning of Doctor Who. Oh. Um, and it kind of goes all up through like Arnold's departure. And, and, and so, you know, I guess I want to know, would you like to throw down to our docket for the season four here? We've, we've ended the last couple of seasons with a movie. And so we could also throw a movie on at the end of this one. You know what? I like it. Let's do it. Right. The only hesitation I have. Yes. I hope I'm not giving something away here. But there is a symbolic cameo by an actor who was playing the doctor when this movie was made at the end of it. As like, as like the doctor. So that's the only thing in it that would be like, give anything away for the future. It's a small so, little thing, but. Yeah, so I, I think my response, my live response to that here on the air, um, this, what year did this movie come out? 2013. So there's a good chance I already know, like I'm already aware that this actor like plays the doctor. Like, if it's from like the last 10 years or so, like I'm, there's not going to be like a, whoa, this person played the doctor. Like, I, I don't know if there's any danger of that. Um, so yeah, I, no, I think, I think that's fine. Let's do it. All right. All right awesome. So yeah. the nice thing is this movie is on BritBox. So, um, Fantastic. it's called Miss an Brit adventure. <laughs> well, well, uh, next week we're going to have our only season four serial on, on BritBox. So that's <sighs> Very nice. Very um, I'm sorry. It's called so what? Yeah, it's called an, an adventure in space and time. Very cool. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. Awesome. All right, Starting, you heard it here, yeah. here folks. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. This, this live reaction that we're recorded podcast. <laughs> yeah, call in. Let us know what you think. No. Um, all right, should we break this thing down? Let's do it. All right. Um, we start as we all must now because the titles of the episodes are now no more. We start at the beginning with episode one. And it's precisely where we are. You're at the South Pole base of International Space Command. And frankly, Pop, <laughs> Doctor, Doctor, your story's going to have to be awful good. Episode one. Uh, as we left them off, them being the Doctor and his companions, Ben and Polly, 
the the TARDIS has landed somewhere, and it's very uh very cold, very cold. It turns out they're on like some sort of what I had assumed was a uh, like a snow planet. I assumed it was like a snow planet. I thought maybe this was like the titular tenth planet, like a Hoth like location, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, I don't know if this is an intentional subversion, um, but it does turn out that they are in a like kind of a, a space base, a tracking station. How, how would you describe where they are? Yeah, I think it's supposed to be a, um, a military base, uh, okay. but it's in the South Pole. It's in Antarctica. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, so we are on Earth, um, which kind of feels, it always feels like a major twist on this show. <laughs> um, um, and I, I should I should mention the 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 idea to set it in the South Pole comes from the classic sci-fi movie The Thing from Outer Space, mm. uh, which I think it's had a remake. It had a remake in the '80s by John Carpenter as just The Thing, which mm-hmm. I think has become a little bit more famous than the original in the '50s. But um, that's where the idea came from. That's that's a very, I think, I, I feel like it's, it's been copied so much, but so now that like anytime you have like a sci-fi story in an Arctic, it just feels like a natural trope when really it was kind of invented by this one movie. But that's where the idea came from. Very cool. I didn't know that. Uh, it does add something. They haven't really done like a whole lot of like snow locations no. thus far, at least uh, as far as I can remember. Um, so yeah, so we kind of find out. So I think what happens is the doctor, Ben and Polly, kind of get spotted and they kind of just get like they kind of just get led back into the out of the cold into the this the space station, which is called the snow cap. We kind of find out through uh the the show chugging along, uh they are monitoring the launch of a manned probe called Zeus 4, and they're manned by Schultz and Williams. Uh, and that's the reason for being there. That's why they're there. Uh, this is where we meet General Cutler, I believe, right? He's not, he's not happy to see strangers at this base, which makes sense. They're very isolated. So I think a stranger would be very um, jarring and alarming. We first meet a whole bunch of other soldiers who... Something I think is actually... Um, something I think helps the serial a lot stand out from other ones, which maybe, um, you know, wouldn't have done this so much, is they give a lot of characterization to these kind of, like, to these characters who end up dying in the first two episodes. There's a lot of crosstalk between, like, the, the astronauts and, like, the people down on the, uh, down on Earth. Like, yeah, there's a lot of, like, mm-hmm. natural... It's still kind of movie-like. Like, honestly, you put, like, these four episodes together and kind of cut the credits. And, oh, by the way, the credits, we open with, like, another kind of stylized, kind of, like, computery uh, title sequence, much like The War Machines. Right. Which is cool. And, well, and part of the problem is we don't know if uh, the smugglers had something similar. It's gone. That's a good point. <laughs> um, and, and the same will be true for the... I'm not mistaken, the same is going to be true for the, you know, until we start getting some serials that still exist. Um, it's a dang shame. Yeah, because something that's unfortunate is um, the first two Patrick Trout serials completely missing. So it's going to be a while before we actually get to, like, see footage of him, which is kind of puts him at a disadvantage as opposed it to does. 
Well, and, and it's too bad just because, like, you know, you, we also can't really see him, like, figuring out the character. Right. You know, we'll hear um, it. We'll hear it, right, but we won't be able to see it. And, and like you said, this, uh, luckily his first story has been animated, so at least we will be able to watch it in a way. But I actually haven't seen the animation, so oh. I don't um, – it came out after I'd already listened to the story, and I just never got around to it. So uh, this is my first time actually seeing the animation. Hey, hey um, that's cool. So we'll kind of come at it as newbies together. Right. Uh, so, but it'll be interesting to see, like, you know – I'm guessing they're going to have like his performance in later episodes heavily influence how they animate him in this I one, see. which I see, you know, which may not be how he did it. We'll never really know. I guess. Well, I'm looking forward to it. It's very exciting. There's like a major, it's bittersweet, but there's a major change coming around the corner here. And it's a, uh, it's kind of uh, invigorating, even though I've enjoyed the show thus far. Uh, General Cutler um, decides kind of to just kind of stow these strangers away until they have time to like deal with it. Like we'll deal with this later. It's kind of mm-hmm. his kind of his, I, his just thoughts on it. It's in this room that we discover that we're in what was the future then, the past now, uh, the year 1986. Right, because Ben and Polly are happy. They're like, hey, we're on Earth. We can go home. Uh, see if they'll give us a ride somehow. Like they're trying to figure out how to get back to London. And the doctor points a calendar at them, and they see they're in 1966. It's like, well, yeah, the, the ride home, they have to wait. Um, and again, we kind of get some characterization of Ben here, because I think he's he kind of have two minds of this revelation. Like, A, he's that much further away from kind of getting back with his Navy ship. But he also seems pretty enamored with the idea that, like, space travel is just, like, normal uh, in the in, in the future. is. Is that a fair is that a fair summary of it is. Ben's reaction to this? It is. It's also interesting how like when shows guess the future because we right. had not been to the moon when this when this uh, episode came out. Um, but like that's the first. But like the going to the moon was a big topic at the time, and so that was Ben's first thought. Like, have we been to the moon? And guys, like, oh yeah, we go all the time. You know what? Yeah, I give the show credit for that because I clocked that at the time. And uh, yeah, like, it, it's a, I think it was three three more years would have to pass, but like they pretty much nailed it. They did, although... And, um, and going to the moon was considered routine enough that like, you know, the third time, Apollo 13 was like the third time they did it and it was already kind of like, oh, this is old news. Right. So yeah, they nailed it. Good job. <laughs> you said although, I'm sorry. You had a thought. Well, oh, 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 I was going to say, I'm not sure it ever became as routine as they were, like, insinuating here, but it did become fairly routine. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, okay. So uh, this is where we get the stress call from the, uh, from the Zeus 4. That's what I keep wanting to say. From Zeus 4. And uh, what's happening to their capsule? Well, they're losing energy, which I can definitely see being an issue. If you're trying <laughs> yeah, to maintain all the around the Earth, yeah. Uh, they're losing energy, and, they, and they're also off course. Um, they've been pulled off course by something, and so no one's, you know, no one's really sure what's going on here because, you know, when you I imagine when you do, because the the, uh, the idea here is, is something done fairly often. So you do something a lot, you expect it to go a certain way, and it's not, and so everyone's kind of puzzled by it. Yeah, not good. And this is where they also observe. 
there's like this strange planet that's now like in their view, one that they can't really account for. And it's between is it Mars and Venus? Mars and Venus, yes. Um wait, between Mars and right? Venus, that doesn't make sense. What be- that that's what that's what is that, is that what they um, said in the show? No, yeah, I no. I don't know if that's what they say on the show. That's what it says here at this uh uh, well, why is it saying Mars and Venus is Earth? Like, well, <laughs> isn't it, it? Ah, counterpoint. Isn't that a? Isn't it a twin Earth, my boy? Okay, fair, fair point. You got me. You got me there. Okay. <laughs> uh, this also this this page could also be wrong. To be honest, I don't know. Um, I, I didn't write it down, so I don't remember. Yeah, that's okay. Um, we'll we'll double check them. We'll uh, we'll amend. Maybe this maybe maybe like because Earth is your is your count uh, maybe it makes sense i don't know well we can let it go it, it's like it's 1986 it's the far future some planets could have moved around by then you don't know <laughs> um this is where the doctor uh starts piping up though and it's like i know exactly what's going on right mm-hmm. yeah you like write it down on a piece of paper yeah i love this and this is what i'm gonna miss from this characterization of the first doctor it's such a I know he. I know they're doing it to kind of like establish his credentials to the these kind of these guest actors, but like it's such a smart ass move of like I'm gonna like <laughs> I know what's going on. I'm gonna like prove it by like writing it down before it happens. I love it. I'm gonna mm-hmm. miss this part of the doctor. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. Um... <laughs> uh, have we met Barclay yet? Is he? He's yeah, kind of have. part of like the. Group. He's, he's okay. been kind of there. He's. I think he. He kind of steps in forefront because he's the one who the doctor gives the paper to. Right, that's exactly right. So yeah, so they have this this, this fuel and energy crisis going on with the Zeus Four capsule. Um, they're thinking like because the the fuel and their energy is down to like twenty percent, so they're like, we you should just attempt to like come back, like just forget the mission, like let's get back over here. Mm-hmm. And. They can't because uh, the new planet's kind of messing with their gravitational pull. So they're kind of just stranded in space, which is a nightmare situation, in, in yeah. my opinion. No, absolutely. Um, and this is where the doctor kind of reveals what he knows. And um, I don't know if you want to summarize his assessment of the situation here with this new planet. Well, what he wrote down on a piece of paper, and they eventually get a good look at the new planet. And what he wrote down is basically that it's a twin Earth. And when you look at it, it literally looks like Earth but flipped upside down. <laughs> Which I thought was uh, kind of a funny little visual. It was, it was. Um, and yeah, I mean, and that's exactly what it was. It was just like a twin Earth that's approaching Earth. And, and the- you know, Cutler is kind of like a bit suspicious yeah. of it which i was gonna say like obviously like the general uh accepts this with um <laughs> with open arms right he's totally cool with this revelation <laughs> no I he's, feel, he's, yeah. he's pissed I, I feel like it's very human to like think something's amiss here even when like it's, it's not necessarily reasonable but that these three random people would have something to do with this planet like well, it makes sense too. I'm like a military yeah. general who's very like it's all very like like procedure oriented and like <laughs> you know, by the book to have this, a twin planet is your problem. Like, I I don't know what, I don't think I'd know what to make of it either if I were him. Yeah. I mean, it would definitely be easier to say like, okay, this this isn't really happening. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think this is where he calls down to, uh, here it is. Wigner is the secretary general of international space command. That's what it is. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, so Cutler kind of calls down basically to like regional office is what this is. And Wigner probably, again, to his credit, is like they you should interrogate these people immediately. I love uh, the um, op- optimism of the 60s. This takes place in the Cold War. Right. Um, which, of course, uh, was between the West and Russia, the Soviet Russia, um, for kind of, you know, how would you even describe the Cold War? <laughs> like, uh, it's just uh, uh, fraught with tension. Like, it, yeah, you know, like, like we were constantly on the brink of like having another major war with Russia. Um, yeah, I because mean, they were trying to, they were trying to spread communism. Yeah. yeah, they're and of course both the nuclear powers. You know, Russia was trying to spread communism and their influence, insert their influence abroad, and the West, like America and England, and like that, were trying to promote democracy and exert their influence abroad. And so it was this big like proxy situation with other countries like Afghanistan and Vietnam, uh, mm-hmm. trying to you know have one side's influence exerted versus the other one, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I love I loved the optimism of the 60s where, you know, in the Cold War, Berlin was split between Russia and the West. And where is UN Space Command? I'm sorry, where is um, International Space Command? It's, it's, it's in Berlin, Berlin, isn't it? Yeah. It's in Berlin, yeah. And the, the, Secretary, the Secretary General, General, Mr. Wigner, that's a German name, you know, and... Is, is international, so the idea is, you know, the nations around the world respond to this. I mean, the Cold War is over in this serial, right? And, and, yeah. and I think I think it kind of speaks too, because again, the parallel sci-fi seemed to be phenomenon that's airing just across the United States by this point is Star Trek, which also has like this like open heart and open mind mm-hmm. optimism of like, hey, I know this. Things are seeming pretty uh, sticky around here right now, but in 200 years, we're going to have to resolve all this, and we're going to go. Out, we're going to start going exploring. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, and you know, Chekhov was not a part of Star Trek when this episode aired. He was soon to be there. Mm-hmm. So just it's interesting because um, it, it's interesting to view science when science fiction is sort of a reflection of current reality. Um, it gets really interesting and it's like i don't think it's a mistake that like there's kind of like this parallel thinking of like but what if what if we do figure this out like how cool is it? and you know doctor who here is much more optimistic than star trek ever was they think in 20 years well i got this and figured out they were close they were wrong but they were close yeah 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 look it'll be an interesting thing to track as we kind of move into the 70s here um when uh, it's British politics kind of take this turn. Anyway, so, uh, so yeah, so Cutler basically has the doctor uh, interrogated. They send out a couple of uh, soldiers, I guess. I don't know what you'd call them to go search. They were soldiers. This, yeah, these soldiers to search the TARDIS. So we get like this cool kind of like snow snowbound scene to kind of end this episode. And this is our introduction to the Cybermen. And I don't know if you... Uh, Want to walk us through it here, um, but uh, it's it's more or less just like these 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 soldier characters kind of get like taken by surprise, like from a sneak attack mm-hmm. from the back by these Cybermen, right? Exactly. Yeah, I and mean, this is kind of what I was saying before. Like 
the episode did its work to kind of like give you a sense for who these characters were. They weren't just like random nameless soldiers. Actually, I don't know if they were names, but they weren't like just random people. Like they, they, they do have had, names. They had they do have names, and they, T- they had dialogue. Tito and Joe. Yeah. Right, and they had personalities. Right. I mean, like you you hadn't really gotten to know them per se, but you kind of got the feeling that they were going to be like a major part of the serial. And then they mm-hmm. kind of get like suddenly killed off. I think that was a smart choice. I think sometimes the show doesn't do that. It'll just like, it wants the Cybermen to massacre a bunch of people and they'll just send out a bunch of unnamed soldiers for them to massacre. Um, yeah, agreed. I, I think that was a smart instinct here because it does add to the drama and the danger of the situation. Like you, you're like, okay, wow. Other than maybe yeah. our main three characters, and you don't know about Arnold at the moment, but yeah, you know, and other than our main three characters, like any of these characters could could be next, and I, I think that that helps um, with the drama. But yeah, basically, the the you know they they have a spaceship for the um, <laughs> the Cybermen. It's obviously like a, a like a model, right? They have like a model size TARDIS right. and. Snow area, and then you 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 get your first glimpse of the Cybermen walking out, and they just gun down all the soldiers who can't get into the TARDIS because the TARDIS is locked. That gets us to the end of episode one, and yeah, at this point, I was I was not yet impressed with the Cybermen, if I'm being perfectly honest. But you know, uh, first you know, first looks can be deceiving, so uh, we we carry forward, and we'll see if my. Uh... We'll see, we'll see when they win me over. Episode two. He cannot live with you. you. You're different. You've got no feelings. Feelings? I do not understand that word. Emotions, love, pride, hate, fear. Have you no emotions, sir? Uh, yeah, the doctor is already talking about, like, he, he knew visitors were coming. Like, he's been kind of trying to warn him about this. Uh, definitely, he definitely seemed to have like prior knowledge about the Cybermen and Mondas going into. And I like, I like that it's not really explained. It's just he, he's been around. He knows. He just kind of knows what this is, and they don't kind of don't go any further into it, which I like. I agree. Yeah, Um, you know, Cutler's still being obstinate. So the Cybermen basically break in by like taking, they take the clothes of the poor Tito and Joe, and uh. They just kind of forced their way into Snowcap. And, uh, do I have that right? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Like they just put yeah. the coats on because it's too, you can't. There's no visibility, right? It's a snowstorm in Antarctica. Can't see anything. Right. You see someone's coat. You assume it's them. You're not gonna. Other than the doctor thing, something you don't trust this character yet. Like, yeah, you're not gonna think it's anybody but the soldiers you just sent out. So this is where they start kind of asserting the personalities of the Cybermen as a group because you know they come in uh, a couple soldiers maybe maybe just one uh tries to gun them down and uh doesn't happen he ends up losing his life as a result and this is where the cybermen kind of start asserting what makes them special because they give their kind of their backstory here but throughout it again there's a lot of like you know they're cold they're calculating but they resemble men and this is kind of where we get the story of Mondas and the, the twin planet. Let's see mm-hmm. if I get this right. Um, again, it's a twin Earth, and right. the uh, Mondas kind of started drifting off to another corner of of the universe, and it started becoming less 
it's hospitable. So the men on Earth, humans on Earth, kind of started replacing their body parts with like robotic parts in order to better survive until they fully become Cybermen. And they also learned to basically remove emotion. They basically kind of untether themselves or unshackled themselves, they probably put it, from those kind of human imperfections such as feeling emotions and stuff. And that kind of becomes a, uh, not necessarily a story point, but kind of a character point. Because I think at least Polly does a couple of times try to appeal to their emotions and they're like, <laughs> you know, we don't deal with those things anymore. Well, I do think it's interesting. Obviously, they, they lay it out here with the Cybermen. They're just completely logical. They have no emotion. And kind of like the wrong, the wrongness of that logical extreme. But I would argue the Cutler character is a character who's completely ruled by emotion. And he's the other villain of the story. Ooh, and, see? Yeah, you're right. And so I, I, I would argue that that is an important plot point, or definitely a thematic point um, that, that they're kind of making here. That like both extremes can be awful. Yeah, and I don't, I, I don't think that's an accident at all. I think that is very intentional. I didn't even pick up on that, but you're right. Um, speaking of Cutler, I think he, this is where he kind of sends a, like a, like a, like an alarm to the ISC, which I'm going to start calling it now, International Space Command. And the Cybermen kind of clock this and go, "You better, you better say that was a false alarm, or we're going to start killing people." Is that more or less right? <laughs> That's right. Um, Cutler refuses. He gets kind of knocked unconscious. And so it's Barclay's turn to uh, kind of fulfill this duty. And oh, that's right. The Cybermen basically say, you better do it or we're going to destroy all your landing equipment. And the Zeus 4 is like stuck forever. Right. So they, they call off the panic alarm. Um, and that kind of dooms... That dooms Zeus 4, uh, doesn't right. it? <laughs> it does. And Zeus, Zeus 4 was probably doomed anyways, but like this whole situation with Star Men, they weren't able to communicate with them and help them. And by the time they are able to communicate with them, they were already too far off course, and there's nothing that can be done to help them. Which kind of shows the Seven Men's cunning. I mean, I know that they're very logical computers, but they, they, they played Barclay here. They could have destroyed the landing equipment. It wouldn't have mattered. Exactly. Yeah, so... And, and this is another thing, I think... Um, we spend a lot of time with the Zeus Four two pilots. Okay, <laughs> that was weird. We spend a long time with the two pilots in the Zeus Four mm-hmm. in these first two episodes. Like you, you do feel for them, and you, I, I don't know. I mean, personally, first time, even the second time, when I remember what happened to them. Like I was kind of rooting. You, you're rooting for these two pilots to try like get out of this situation, and so it really is dark. I think, and then sad. That, yeah, I, that they have this, this kind of unceremonious end. And I have to imagine, too, I, I don't want to say a lesser serial, but I think a different version of the serial would have had them kind of um, maybe even, like, it looks like they're doomed, and then, like, at the end of episode four, like, it turns out they actually were able to land, and they help kind of, like, round up the Cybermen or something. But here, no, it's a, it's a more, yeah, dark, as you say. Um, I think it's important, too, because I think it establishes the Cybermen as, like, the real deal right away. Like, <laughs> Agreed. And also, like, um, what havoc the mom that's just being there is, is causing onto Earth. Right. Right. Uh, oh, this is where Ben tries to play the hero, right? He, uh, mm-hmm. 
he grabs a gun and he kind of gets disarmed and uh this is where he gets in, yeah he gets locked away in like a, another room by the cybermen mm-hmm. yeah and the, and the locks are different in 1986 so he can't he can't pick it so oh yeah that's right mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, i don't know man like i, just, I didn't need that explanation like <laughs> you just can't pick the lock it doesn't have to be like oh this futuristic technology it's those 80s locks they're so much stronger <laughs> like, <laughs> So yeah, no, yeah, yeah. This is the final. It's the final mission of the Zeus Four. Like the, the ship just gets kind of get pulled into like the sun and explodes or something, right? Like no, it just. I think it just breaks up in the atmosphere. Like got you, it. You have, yeah, I, I, it didn't go to the sun. I don't think, but it, it did. It didn't explode. Like it was unstable and it broke up. Uh, should we stick with Ben or should we stick with the uh, Cybermen here? Because there's this interesting little turn. A little kind of characterization of uh, the Cybermen here, but I don't know if we want to just kind of like track Ben for a second. No, we can do the Cybermen if you'd like. So this is where they kind of reveal what appears to be their master plan here. Uh, basically, Mondas's energy is getting exhausted, so they're using their basically their twin brother here, the uh, the Earth, to kind of just like rejuvenate the planet. And Polly asks a good question of like, "Are you?" planning on you know, basically condemning all of all the people on earth and the cybermen say like the, the plan is to offer to take all the humans back with us to mandas which you know as as we go forward we'll see how sincere that offer really is but in the moment it's an interesting little again you can't it's hard not to kind of see where the cybermen are coming from they're almost trying to make the best out of a bad situation and this almost seems you know if you accept that you know, it's okay to like, you know, our planet is dying, so we're just going to ravage another one. It almost seems like a fair offer in a way. Um, if you look at it from their perspective, obviously it's not, well, it's I mean, still awful, but <laughs> it's better than killing everyone, at least at this point. Right. Um, uh, but yeah, that's it. That's kind of where we're at with the Cybermen. Um, this is oh, it's, that's right. This is where Ben. There's like a there's like a projector playing like an old an old movie. So it's probably a movie oh, yeah, that yeah, came out the, that year, right? Yeah, I would assume so. Uh, I don't remember what the movie was. You know, maybe I can find it. Um, it looked like a western or something. Um, yeah, he basically uses like yeah. Walk me through this. He 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 uses like this projector. And he kind of blinds the, the Cyberman that's guarding him. Is that right? Yeah, that's literally what it is. Yes. Oh, cool. All right. That was easy. Um, yeah, and he gets he disarms the Cyberman and he kills him, and Ben is out. Oh, and, actually, yeah, yeah. What what does Ben do next? He he just, he sneaks in with the cyber gun. I love Doctor Who names and things. The cyber gun um, is so great. The cyber gun and gets Cutler, who yeah. you know who kicks ass, I guess. And then he contacts, you know, they, they basically are able to clear the base of the Cybermen, the two of them. And so they, you know, at least for the moment, the, the humans have taken the, the uh, snow-capped base back. And he contacts the, you know, IESC, right? Uh, IESC. Command, yep. And tells them, tells them everything, right? And tells them about the Cybermen, tells them about... Um, 
you know, Mon, you know, what I know about Mondas, I was about to use four, uh, and kind of a sh display of irony because they couldn't contact ISC about the Zeus 4, um, they sent up someone to try to retrieve it, or at least make contact with the, uh, with the Zeus 4. So even though it's, well, they sent Lieutenant Terry Cutler, General Cutler's son. Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, but as you alluded to earlier, like this adds a huge wrinkle to this character who was not very likable up, up to this point, but it's still... He wasn't necessarily the villain of the series of the serial yet, right? But uh, his character is gonna. I'm 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 excited to get into this next episode. I think episode three is actually like maybe the strongest of the four, even though it doesn't involve the Doctor like at all. We'll get into that, mm. but um, yeah, let's just jump into it. Um, we end episode two with the um. The, the, the good enough cliffhanger of like a radar technician going like, uh, sir, sir, look at the radar. Uh, just, and there's like a hundred dots, like all like <laughs> zooming in. To like, I know. <laughs> it's like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah, that's a good enough place to end off episode two. Um, For sure. Episode three. What is this evil? What is it? It's the doomsday weapon, mister. And rightly primed that could split that planet in half. So this is, remind me, because I, I think I, I think this is the first time we kind of get this I know it's all written in the uh, to the purpose of trying to get the doctor out for this one specific episode does he allude to being exhausted or like something something weird's going on in like episode one or something or is this like literally the first time we get any indication something's up with the doctor I, I believe this is the first time I don't remember anything in episode one but I could be mistaken okay okay it's one of the. It's one of those things. Where I'm like, wait a minute. Did they like sort of soft set it up? But they couldn't have because they didn't even know they were doing it yet. And so, yeah, right. But... And so, so something I will say is, going into the serial, they did know this was going to be Hartnell's last. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, so basically, what happened was like the Smugglers was the last part of season three that was um, recorded, and they let Hartnell know during the re during the filming of the Smugglers. I mean, that's when the decision was finally made, like, that he just couldn't go on anymore Got in it. the role. So he knew going into the serial that it would be his last. Um, and Trouton had been casted already before the serial started filming. Um, it was all kind of, like, on the book. So it's not yeah. impossible that there was a reference in the first episode. I just forgot about her myth. Um yeah, it's not like I knew like to listen for any of that, but just like looking mm -hmm. back, I'm like, wait, does he say something like something, something odds going? I mean, that could have been about anything. Like, <laughs> true, true. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so yeah. So doctor, here, yeah, we can cover basically one appearance in this uh, episode. Go ahead. Right, he just he just collapses. Which you know, um, as far as the timing of him getting bronchitis goes, it does kind of work to have him sidelined here due to exhaustion because he is about to regenerate like you know as he says in episode four you know his old body's wearing a bit thin right mm -hmm. um and basically they give all his lines of dialogue to they, they split them between ben and barclay um 
And you know what? It's a good call. I think it gives Ben a lot of shine in this episode. I think that's why this episode is so strong. Like you don't really feel in other episodes where like they had to write out like Ian or Barbara or the doctor, like you can feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of like how Steven kind of got a lot of shine in um, the massacre here, Ben kind of gets this chance. I, I think the conflicts here are just so strong and um and, and yeah, it, it did it did help episode. it did help that there was this other scientist character who could also like reasonably know the things that the doctor would have brought to the table right it's kind of like a brain versus brawn kind of thing you know, especially here in the beginning parts where cutler again ruled by emotion you know he doesn't want his uh you know he doesn't want his son to like die on a mission that he doesn't need to be on so this really bust out there's just this does this, this make me laugh um he's like we're gonna take out we're gonna just blow up mondas with uh the z bomb so i guess they had, <laughs> i guess they you have the, you have the 20... h bomb right in 20 years we just got to the end <laughs> so funny <laughs> so it, would the next bomb have been like a double a or something i, like... I imagine so <laughs> but it's in this, yeah, I, I, this this scene here, he kind of calls up Wigner and says, "Like, do I have authority to use the Z bomb?" Which I guess is like the Z bomb isn't necessarily like a a singular bomb. It's almost like a series of bombs that all kind of launch at the same time around like the world or something or like the country is. It's I mean, not. It's not really made clear, but yes, I believe so. Yeah, and he's like, "Can I?" Basically, he goes, "May I use the Z bomb?" to blow up Mondas and Wigner says no to that. So Cutler kind of of rephrases his question to get the answer he wants. I don't know if you want to like (laughs) describe his second question. I love, I love his logic here. It never would have held up. I also don't think he gives a shit, but it's basically, can I use the Z-bomb to destroy Mondas? No. Can I do what I need to to stop the Cybermen? Well, yeah. Yeah, he hangs up like, I got it. I'm going to use the Z bomb. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, no. <laughs> I, I do feel like like sometimes that does happen, though, with like. <laughs> um, yeah. Can I, I do mean, this thing, though? And then, like, you just ask it in a new way. Yeah. I, I bet it happens a lot when uh, high level military things of like, <laughs> look, if we. We reasonably believed you were under attack, so we got to use any means necessary. Mm-hmm. You know. And again, I sort of get why he's fishing around. I wouldn't want my mm-hmm. son to, I, my, you know, if my son were up there, I'd probably want to blow up Mondas too, just get it over with. And it's, um, also easy, it's also probably easy for him to rationalize because he's saving the world potentially by doing this. Absolutely. He could, he could be a hero by the mm-hmm. end of this. We, we won't know. Um, so yeah, Ben and Polly try to like argue to reason <clears throat> here. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a line here that I don't remember being set up. I could be wrong. This is where Ben says the doctor kind of believes that uh, Mondas might just blow itself up by using too much energy. This is an example of um, them giving Ben some of the doctor's lines. Got it. The doctor would have just said, here. Yes. Here he would have said. Release that. <clears throat> or he would have just probably confidently said, um, Mondas is going to run out of energy soon. You don't need to blow it up. But as William Hartnell was not available for this episode, <clears throat> at some point that we didn't see, the doctor explained to Ben, Mondas was going to run out of energy. And uh, 
Cutler takes this takes this line of questioning and responds by just locking Ben up again. <laughs> Which again, probably the most realistic part of the episode. Yeah, absolutely, because he <laughs> he has no answer to it, so he's just like. Yeah. I mean, he also doesn't have something. to. He's a fucking general, and Ben is some <laughs> kind of <laughs> asshole who shows up out of nowhere. <laughs> So yeah, uh, Ben immediately kind of gets to work uh, busting out. I think he like starts like trying to open up the vents with like a knife or something. Or, like, a... yeah. I love the um the double they have of the doctor here. He just like, <laughs> like so doesn't, doesn't Ben or Polly like talk to him and like the doctor doesn't answer and you just like see him from behind with like the the doctor's wig. Yeah, I think because I think Ben like gets locked up in the same room that the doctor is like. <clears throat> resting and he tries to go like right. he tries to like communicate with him and he just doesn't respond um yeah it's, <laughs> a, it's an elegant... like... no it's, it's awful but what can you do what can you do <clears throat> recast the character i guess yeah like, i'd like to see them try um, <laughs> um so this is where yeah again we kind of learn more about cutler here a little bit because he does admit He's not like a hundred percent confident about the Z. Like he understands like the implication of what he's going to do here. He just feels like he has no other choice, <laughs> more or less, right? Well, Which I also I- think he he just watches Zeus four blow up for running out of energy. I think he understands like <clears throat> on a like logical level, like okay, Z bomb's not the only choice with dealing with these cybermen. There could be other options, but in, in, in his head. All of those would take too long, and his son would die. Mm-hmm. And his priority is saving his son, which is very human. Like I said, it's very emotional, right? He's he's acting on emotion. He just wants to save his kid. And I, you know what? Like, what Say would what you, you want? What would you be willing to do to save your kid? Right? I think a lot of people out there would be willing to do a lot worse than what. But the general here was trying to do. right, absolutely. I think it's a much stronger choice than making them like a cigar chomping, like, like, pat, not, not, not Patton in real life, but like, kind of like a Patton esque, like, general who just like wants to like blow things up. There's like a real reason here. I, I, it's a much stronger choice. Um, so this is where I do like, I do think it's funny, like, the, 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 the capsule that, um, Ben, uh, not Ben. The capsule that his son is in is a uh, Zeus Five. <laughs> it's just Zeus Five. <laughs> so next one yeah. up. Next one up. Another thing I realized right. they were doing Apollo missions, right? Yes. They've already gotten to oh. Zeus now too. Ah, oh, very <clears throat> good. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the A bomb to the Z bomb to the Apollo to the <laughs> Zeus. Yeah. Um. So this is where Polly starts. To, uh, Picking Barclay's brain a little bit, and Barclay gets like this is this is really not leading anywhere good. Like a lot of other, I mean, we might save Cutler's son, but we're going to be sacrificing a lot of other unrelated lives on Earth. So Polly's like, "What if we just try to like rig the bomb?" Because Barclay's like in charge of like setting up the bomb to get ready to ready to detonate. He's like, "Why don't you just rig it so it doesn't explode?" Which makes sense. Um. What happens next here? Yeah, uh, Cutler uh, kind of comes in and explains the plan is when the Cybermen next land, we're going to kill them with their own weapons, which is pretty savage. Um, this is where Barkley and Polly find Ben and they come up with their plan to like 
rig the bomb to like not explode right <laughs> yeah and something i was gonna say was um i think you're right this is a good episode for ben and it's also a good episode for polly she's taking charge and um you know she's kind of subtly manipulating events unfortunately the next episode is not such a good episode for polly yeah um, no yeah not great but 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 here yeah she's proactive and she's she's doing stuff yeah, it's awesome. Like she really is like moving the story forward, which is uh, probably more than we could say for um, the smugglers. Um, so as Ben goes through the vents to go bring up the bomb, the Cybermen arrive, and they get like mowed down. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a it's a successful military campaign against them. Yeah, look, Cutler knows what he's doing. Okay, that's this. This is what happens here. Okay. I, 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 I was trying to jump earlier. Ben finds the bomb and he like starts to set it up. He's, he begins to disarm it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then Cutler kind of catches well, Cutler, the act, right? Cutler notices Barclay's absence. Right. right. And Barclay's okay. been kind of pushing back on him this whole time. So Cutler's like... He smells a rat. He kinda, he, yeah, he's like, wait a minute. This is weird. Why, is, why isn't Barclay here? And he, he runs over to the D-bomb and he like finds Ben in the middle of like doing it and he just like fucking like pushes Ben out of the way and throws him over a fucking balcony like <laughs> it was kind of it was, it was kind of interesting the way they decided to, to film it like like literally you just see Ben like flip over the rail and, and fall but you don't see him land like, yeah it's like as far as you know like Ben could have died like yeah <laughs> you know intellectually like a guest actor probably isn't going to kill like a main character but like you know yeah who knows anymore which something I don't want to say is I, I like the directing of this episode. I don't know how you felt. Yeah, it's um, a, I think it's well directed, uh, you know, as a piece too. I think, as you mentioned, this is kind of the first time we get to see to Derek Martinus. Yeah, kind of get to actually see his directorial work, at least seventy five percent of it. No, it's good. It's functional. It's tight and kind of like close quarters when it needs to be, and it can. Yeah, I think it does a. Uh, I think it does a very good job here. Uh, that's all I got on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Okay, yeah, so basically Cutler basically busts this, like, mutiny in his eyes, and uh, the only reason he doesn't really discipline Barclay is because he, he's needed to launch this thing, um, although it doesn't pretend anything good for him after it launches. And then we get, like, this countdown screen, which also gets overlaid on the screen, which I thought was a nice touch. It was, and, it was kind of what drives the drama of this otherwise pretty cut and dry cliffhanger is that Ben doesn't remember if he was able to like finish it in time before he got like knocked out. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Which is fair. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. as the countdown hits zero, the episode ends. Nice touch. Yeah, and, uh, for sure. For sure. We get to episode four, the finale. And What did you say, my boy? It's all over. That's what you said. It's far from being all over. And uh, the only missing episode. And naturally, it is. 
<laughs> the most the most consequential episode of the show is history up to this point. <laughs> Uh, and arguably in general, because this is, this is what has allowed it to keep going, right? Right. Uh, so naturally, you know, it's never to be seen. Naturally. Uh, you know, something interesting. There's so much to talk about this episode. We haven't even talked about the animation. Um, yeah, you're right. We can quickly get into it. It's good. Yeah, so, so, let's, let's talk. so this was animated by the company Planet 55, which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. This is the second one they've animated. They also animated the Reign of Terror. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, that they, that yeah. seems very much of a piece. Both in how they direct it too, or like they kind of you know make their they can make their own directorial choices on these. And uh, that feels very much like what I remember of the Reign of Terror animations. So thanks mm-hmm. for clearing that up. Right. Yeah. No worries. Um, this is the last thing they. No, it's not. They also do one later. They do the Moon Base later this season. Got it. Uh, okay. Okay. So this, they they animate three stories for this for Doctor Who. Uh, the Rana Terrors was their first one. This was their second one, and the Moon Base was the third one they animated. And um, I thought this animation was much better than what we got in Rana Terror. I would. I liked it a lot. Yeah, I thought even like stuff that bothered me about. The Reign of Terror like didn't bother me here. Um, again, I do think that the 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 director the direction of the animation and the movement feels a little bit more modern than like what we normally get with like classic Doctor Who. And I thought that stood out a lot in Reign of Terror. Maybe it's just because it's only one episode mm-hmm. or something, but like it just didn't bother me as much here. I thought the, I thought actually those choices really did heighten the tension more than distract from it. Um, there's a lot more like close-ups and stuff. The stuff that the show just didn't do much of uh, in these days. Um, there's a lot more. Of, like, it would have required too much editing. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot more editing in the the, the animation episode. I think that's a good way of putting it. But I thought yeah, I thought it heightened things more than the, the detracted this time. So I thought that was a, um, a very very uh, nice move on their part. I'm assuming the reason because like Ray of Terror, like most of that was missing. Like five episodes or four or something? No, that, that only had two episodes missing. Oh, okay. Okay. You, I'm not sure what you're thinking of. Yeah, that was, six, that was six episodes and only episodes four and five were missing. So. Oh, okay. Because I, I was wondering, like, why did they, like, get commissioned to do just, like, one that only had one missing episode? Um, and, well, I think the answer is, of course, because this episode has to be animated. Like, it just has to be. <laughs> and this was, this was the third serial animated. Uh, oh, it was that early on. Yeah, exactly. So the first one was done in 2006. Um, where is that? Where is that? Yeah, 2006. And <clears throat> that's a serial called The Invasion. Season six is The Invasion. And the second one was Reign of Terror animated, huh? or at least released. I say animated, maybe released, released in 2013. So a big gap between animations there. Wow. I don't think I expected that at all. And so in 2013... Someone's... The Reign of Terror got animated. Uh, simple yes or no. <laughs> is there something special about the invasion that got it like first? I think it's just um, only it had very few missing episodes, and I think it's an easy one to animate. Got it. So uh, and so it's I, I guess I don't think so. It's also a well liked serial, not to give anything away, but the animation is well liked. Got it. And so I think it you know because you could have started off with this one. 
But like, you, you screw this one up. Like, you know, this is this. Is, you'd rather screw up Reign of Terror than the Tenth Planet. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. And that, so, and true. I and I think I think the the experience they had doing the Reign of Terror added to their animation here. Sure. Yeah, you learn stuff and it probably gains them some confidence. It's not like the animation was like that bad in um, uh, Reign of Terror. It just, it, it was just kind of, it felt a little uh, clipped a little bit. It felt like a kind of a flash animation a little bit here. I didn't get that feeling for this one. This one felt yeah. very like fluid. It did feel fluid. It felt like this one maybe had a little bit better of a budget. Maybe it was just because they only had to do one episode that they were just able to use their budget a little bit I think better. That may- I bet you're right. I bet that's exactly um, what it is. Less, 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 less to cover, so they can kind of focus in on. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, maybe the most important episode of the show we'll ever will ever do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, let's break it down. Episode four. Um, as it turns out, I guess Ben did a good job because the engines fail at zero, and Cutler's pissed. Uh, so good job, Ben. So. Yeah. yeah. Um. Because, yeah, I think this, this, his son actually dies here, right? Or am I wrong? Or is it just more of like, no. he's, do, he's doomed to die? He's <laughs> doomed to die. He's doomed to die. I, I used to think his son makes it out of this, which Cutler doesn't, which is uh, uh, a little I ironic, like, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. See? Um, so, yeah, he's, yeah he's, he's blind with rage and blind with emotion. Um, it doesn't seem to matter to him that, like, more Cybermen are coming, that they have, like, no real... Um, <laughs> They have no real plan of attack for. It also doesn't seem to matter to him that uh, Mondas does appear to be burning up. The doctor was right. Um, oh, I didn't even mention the doctor has he has returned like just as quickly yeah, as he left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's like I'm better now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was a little like okay, but you know, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, Cutler doesn't make it out of this episode, um, but. Uh, as it happens, oh, we're gonna have ourselves, yeah. Yeah. Well, hold on. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but it happens here right now. The Cybermen come in and invade and kill Cutler, and that that does it for him. Um, the Doctor tries to negotiate with the Cybermen here and say, "Hey, uh, you can just stay here," which is kind of a insane offer to make but you know i think he's just trying to again kind of try to appeal to their humanity which i think is an interesting choice by the doctor because they make it very clear that they don't they don't really have emotion although i think that their next move here kind of belies that they their response is we don't negotiate with anyone who's pointing a missile at our home planet so <laughs> so i guess they do have emotion sort of right or am i am i am i reading I too much into this I, I definitely think that's something you could read from this if you wanted to. Um, is, is they think they have no emotion, but do they really have no emotion? I think that's a fair question to ask. Is that something that will be continue to be explored as they make returns? Or, you know, it, some, some writers are more interested in the lack of emotion of the environment than others. Got it. it really depends on who's writing them. Okay, that's fair enough. Uh, also, I, I think kind of belies that they are willing to negotiate. They take, they just like, they just like kidnap Polly. They just like take her onto their ship and like, 
lock her in like this like metal vice or something. <laughs> like right, they they use her as collateral. Yeah. So they don't. Uh, so they don't get uh, turn on. But get... this is where the doctor figures out their plan, right? Because the Cybermen have taken over the entire world now. I mean, they're at the International Space Command in Berlin. Correct. We don't see anywhere else, but we are led to believe they're everywhere else. Um, yeah, I think and, that's I think that's the strong implication here. Yeah, and and they let slip that they need to be able to evacuate, which you know I think the doctor was suspicious of them to begin with, but kind of let him realize they were planning on destroying the Earth with the Z bomb. Yeah, which kind of goes back to the. Uh, you know, maybe in episode two, their offer of like, oh, we're going to take the uh, humans back to our planet. Like, you could probably question how sincere of an offer that was here. Well, maybe and there's also kind of the, the, I think there's also the implication is that like humans can come back to the planet, but like they're going to become Cybermen. Yeah, exactly. Like it, 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 it comes with strings attached. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, yeah, so Doctor kind of like hits the loudspeaker system, just basically warns all of Snowcap, like, the Cybermen to have something very sinister in mind here. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And this is where, again, Ben, I, I know Polly's kind of locked up again for this episode, which is kind of a shame, but Ben, again, with uh, Barclay and a couple of the other scientists, they kind of, they kind of, it's not really like a science learning moment, but they do kind of use power of deduction and reasoning to figure out, because their question is like, why aren't, <laughs> why are we setting up like the bomb right now? Like, why aren't the Cybermen doing this themselves? And they kind of figure out, oh shit, they can't handle radiation. Right, yeah, there must be a reason why they just don't have a Z-bomb of themselves and why they're not, they're stronger than, you know, they have enhanced strength. Um, They make the reasonable um, uh, deduction that Cybermen can't be around that kind of radiation. They test yeah. it. It's also not something they just like assume. They test it. Yeah, they like break something off like the back of one of the computers or something, and um, yeah, the Cybermen guards just can't like can't deal with it. <laughs> so that's a very, very, uh, very, 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 very powerful tool that they've uh, developed there, and it'll probably lead to the Cybermen's demise at least for now. Uh, they. They return back to Snowcap. And Barclay shows Ben a device that the Cybermen have been using to contact each other. And that's what they use to kind of draw all the Cybermen in to one place, which I think is pretty smart. Uh, and yeah, this is the, this is the critical moment. Uh, Mondas draws too much power out of the Earth and Mondas explodes uh, in a pretty cool sequence. Um, Although I, that, I yeah. do sometimes get like Annoyed a little bit when like, all right, Mondas explodes. Why did that mean all the Cybermen like faded to dust? It's the same trope as like in Episode One, Phantom Menace, like when like the, the main ship explodes, like all like the all the battle droids kind of like collapse. It's the same thing like in Avengers One, like right. Uh, it's just I think it's just one of those tropes. I don't know how I don't know if it's a relatively new trope in 1966, but it, it's definitely been overused to the point where like you can't even appreciate it in older context it just this did to kind of feel like a cop out and that's why i think episode three is probably a little stronger than episode four the last sequence notwithstanding agreed um 
but yeah, uh, Zeus Five. You're right. Yeah, Zeus Five uh, comes back online. They're fine. Also, <laughs> Cutler is now uh, down a parent, which is really sad. Actually, yeah, they don't, they don't really get they don't really get into it, but it's probably for the best because we have another uh, impending loss to break down here. We may as well get into it. I don't know. Do you want to guide us through our first regeneration? Well, so Ben is pretty concerned about the Doctrine, Polly, and so he runs off to the government spaceship um, and sets free the Doctor and Polly, who are both kind of in prison and this kind of weird-looking, like, cage seat or something. Um, and the Doctor is like, he can barely stand. And, you know, distracted, and he's like, you know... Ben hands him his coat and he's like, thank you. And then he's just like kind of staring off into space. I was like muttering to himself. He's like, I got to mm-hmm. go to the TARDIS. I got to go. And he runs off. Yeah. And they, they, they notice, and I think it's a, it, I think it's a telling piece of characterization that the show is aware of like what William Hartnell really brought to the role. Ultimately, like Ben knows something's off because he's like, there was like no, there's no humor involved in his instructions. Like it's all business. Yeah. Uh, and so they, they will go back to the TARDIS and they're like locked out and the doctor is like messing around with the controls mm-hmm. and it's, it's going up and down, it's going down. And then he finally unlocks the door and lets them in and he just like collapses onto the ground. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, then there's a close up on his face. It just kind of like the, the flare, uh, and he just regenerates into Patrick Troughton. Pretty amazing stuff. And then it says next episode, the power of the Daleks. And um, my immediate reaction was, I think it's probably a good call. Um, start off, start your new doctor's journey with a uh, established character set that um, will guarantee, you know, viewers turn in, turn in. They will guarantee viewers tune in. Uh, I suppose they could have started them off with like a, non-Dalek story, but nah, maybe we'll just, just jump into the deep end. Let's just do it. Oh, yeah. So I think that was a good call too. And not surprising to see. No, not at all. Um, so yeah. Uh, so that, that's it for Hartnell. My first Doctor Era. Done. Yeah. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, I'm, I'm still, I'm, I still have like the superhero movies on the brain. I almost jumped in and said we have to rate this. We don't have to rate a dang thing in the TARDIS. Um, <laughs> we, we, we just, we just observe. Um, that brings us to the end of the journey uh, in several ways. That's the end of the first Doctor's journey. That's the end of our journey through the tenth planet. Uh, as mentioned, uh, there should be a special episode showing up on your feed later this week. Uh, the full tribute to William Hartnell, uh, the man who made the show what it was and uh, arguably held everything together to get it to this point. Uh, uh, that should be a lot of fun. Um, but for now, uh, if you want a, a, more of a breakdown of William Hartnell's tenure, we have now covered every serial he's ever did. And it is all... Well, you don't know that, Ryan. Oh, my goodness. That is, you son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, up to this point, we have done every serial he has done up to this point for the show. 
and you can find those episodes in our archives uh, on uh, Anchor and Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can find them on our website, popculturehistorianspodcast.wordpress.com. You can find uh, information on our show as well as other things we're doing, including our ongoing tribute to the superhero movie genre. We are currently working our way through the 90s, and we will pick that back up as soon as we're done with this run of Doctor Who episodes. You can find those uh, announcements on Instagram, at Pop Culture Historians Podcast, and on Twitter, at PC Historians. Uh, Life lessons. Well, before um, we do that, there was something I wanted to include, and I just... Didn't find a oh. natural place to do it else otherwise. So. Reminds me, I have a question for you, too, before we do that, too. Oh, okay. But, yeah, well, you, you hit me with this, this is, first. This is just a little story. I guess um, prior to the serial, of course, between The Smugglers and The Tenth Plan of the Filming, there was a little bit of a break. And my actor, Michael Craze, who plays Ben, um, he had to do – he had no surgery because I guess he had, like, a bone chip in his nose. Mm-hmm. And all this snow being, like, blasted around – like was like really like difficult for him. It caused like severe nasal irritation. But as it turns out, uh, the woman in charge of doing like the production of, you know, of the snow and stuff like that uh, ended up being Michael Craze's wife. That's how they met on the oh. set of this episode. Uh, and so, you know, sometimes things that seem, you know, bad right like you barely be able to work because your nose is irritated due to the snow like you know sometimes uh, they work out what a lovely little like tapestry of humanity kind of story that's awesome uh the question i have for you it's a pretty standard question but there's such a sense of finality to this i almost forgot to ask you like is there anything you can set up for this next story obviously it's important it's pretty (laughs) obvious but um anything to expect for well, one nice Patrick thing is this, <laughs> this is the only serial that's actually on BritBox, so we're not going to have to like track it down someplace else. That feels good. All six episodes are missing. All six episodes are animated. Fantastic. Um, and it's going to be the first Dalek story to be completely not written by Terry Nation. Oh! Yeah. Um, so that it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how, um, you know, if it, if you notice the difference or not, you know, but yeah, we're, we're not gonna, it's not a Terry Nation Dalek story. Uh, uh, but it, it is a returning writer, I think we both like, uh, David Whitaker writes. Ah, uh, yes, absolutely. David Whitaker, he's, he's, he does good work. Um, so that, you know, that sounded sarcastic, but I really meant that. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, so yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see if, um, how well they can kind of, capture Trouton's first appearance. You know, like I said, unfortunately, there's going to be some time before we actually see Patrick Trouton in the flesh play the role. Um, so many episodes are missing from this season. His first two serials are completely missing. I mean, even after that, like, all the serials are incomplete for the season. So, uh, But we will eventually get to see him in the role. And But until then, we're going to have to kind of deal with these animations. That's okay. And my last question, I think I already know the answer, but just to confirm, might we expect a different kind of doctor going forward? Or is that... I, I don't know if I want to answer that question. I don't know if I want to answer that question. Okay. That's I, I think I think yeah, I want to leave you with like a, nothing to expect for Patrick Crown. I love it. Um, 
Okay. I think that's, I think that's the best way to go with this one. Yeah. It's maybe that's, you know, that's maybe the best way to go about it. It's uh, open-mindedness with, uh, with this change here. And uh, to that end, um, uh, life lesson, um, you know, there's a couple you could pull from here. One, like, you know, everyone's time must come. That doesn't mean it's the end. It just means it's your time. Uh, but another thing, you know, between logic and emotion, I think a healthy balance somewhere in the middle is probably the, the secret to a healthy life. And let, this, let, let the folly of the Cybermen and uh, the folly of General Cutler be your guide there. You kind of want to meet somewhere in between them. Yeah, nothing funny about that. Yeah, no, that's a good moral. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that's a good moral. Yeah, yeah. All right, next week, uh, the second Doctor era begins. Uh, the power of the Daleks and a new era for the pop culture historians begins. But until that time, uh, my I was Ryan. That was Jimmy. We'll see you next week.